you don't have a Bible this morning, feel free to grab one off of the, of the little tables as you come in. Little mirrored tables have some Bibles. Well, how's your Christmas season going so far? I heard some, uh, you don't have your shopping done, those, uh, uh, you know, for the, I think the first time, it may not be the first time, but it feels like the first time in my 20 year marriage, there's like, actually in the month of November, there was a Christmas tree up, lighted, ready to go at our house. Um, I'd love to take credit, but I, I can't take any of it. My daughter pushed that on us. So, uh, so those of you who I've made fun of for decorating at the beginning of November, you know who you are. Um, we we kind of join you at least in the calendar month at our house. So be proud of us. Be very proud of the Raven family uh, for that. It's week two of Advent, and we're talking about this word peace. It's the second promise of God in the Advent season to his people. We lit uh, during communion the the candle that represents peace. And so we're going to just talk through it today, this this idea of peace. You see, I, I think in our culture sometimes, when we think about peace, we definitely all would like peace. And what we think about peace often is this. Peace really is when I get everyone out of my hair, then I can have peace. Correct? Right? You know, if I could just get everyone out of my head, everyone out of my way, and not have to listen to anything, then I could have peace. But that's not necessarily the biblical idea of peace. And so when we come into this time where God says in this Advent season, one of the gifts of the coming Savior is peace, he means something a little different. And so we're just going to walk through this, this wonderful story we find every Christmas. This story is available to us to walk through and to read. And uh, if we're not careful, sometimes as believers, what we do is we say, oh, I've heard that story before, and we click off. And so for the next... 30 minutes we go into, you know, uh, what do I need to get done this week? You know, what kind of update on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Can I just bring you back this morning to a story that may be very familiar to you and nonetheless walk through it with these lenses of this word of peace. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to start off just reading this story with you uh, as we walk through it. And uh, because I'm going to stop several points uh, along the way, if you would just follow in your bulletin this morning or in your sermon notes uh, as you came in, you would have got those. Um, If you didn't get those, uh, then Kelly is subbing in this morning and she is ready to pounce um, she's very competitive, so she wants to do Mike in. So um, you might just want to throw up your hands just to see what happens, even if you already have one in your lap. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. All right, so we're going to walk through this story. I want to highlight a couple uh, ideas from the story that you may or may not be aware of. And then I want to ask the question, like, what did Mary do that brought peace on her? And then I'm going to leave it with you asking a question of yourself. Uh, what do you do? That's a time for your self-evaluation to ask, you know, what do I usually do in this? And does it really get the end result that I'm hoping to get in terms of the word peace? 
Make sense? Let's take a look at it. This comes from Luke chapter 1, and last week, Pastor Kevin walked us through the beginning of this, the first 25 verses. I'm going to walk you through the rest of the chapter from there. Here's what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, remember Pastor Kevin walked us through Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they became pregnant uh, with who would be John the Baptist. Uh, John sent, or excuse me, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a t- village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So uh, what we find here at the beginning is an introduction to the characters of this story. Elizabeth, uh, who if you were here last week or if you listened to last week's sermon online, you would, you'd kind of get introduced to who Elizabeth is. They're relatives to Mary. And now we're introduced to this young lady named Mary. It's interesting that the, the writer here of Luke, who is an investigative type writer, that's how he writes, writing his whole gospel to this guy, this character named Theophilus, who actually has the title Most Excellent Theophilus, which means he's probably fairly high up in the State Department, and most likely he is completely Roman, Roman background, which means he would not have grown up knowing the Jewish stories, knowing the Jewish heritage, and he certainly probably would not have known the Old Testament as it relates to the prophecies and those type of things. And so Luke says, I'm going to write a very orderly account, an investigative report that I'm going to send to Theophilus, this Roman official, so that he understands who Jesus Christ is. So as he's writing, he introduces Mary, and he, he goes right ahead and says, a virgin named Mary. So it would become very important right here that Luke would want his reader, Theophilus, and whoever else would read it after that, to know that this, this Mary is a virgin. Hasn't had sex, ever. Now that's a weird way to introduce a character, is it not? Uh, have you ever introduced anyone in your life to someone else talking about whether or not they have had sexual relations. It's weird, but that's exactly how Luke introduces this character. Why? Because he's going to want you to know and want Theophilus and the readers to know very clearly God's going to do something amazing in this woman that seemingly only by human efforts we should be able to accomplish. And so we we continue on. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph— a descendant of King David. He introduced Joseph, who was the person that he, she was engaged to, would be the husband. Notice here that this, Luke is not saying they're already married. In fact, there was this one-year betrothment. In fact, some of your translations actually call it marriage because in Jewish culture, they often called it marriage. But it was a one-year betrothment, one-year engagement, you could call it. But unlike our engagements where we give a ring and, and a yes or no is said, well, I guess a yes if you become engaged, is said, and then over the course of that next year or period of time, whatever it is that you determine, what do you do during that time? Well, you got to get invitations ready, and you're finding a venue, right? And, you know, you're finding your preacher to marry you, and you're getting everything, and all that kind of stuff you're getting together. Um, That's really not what this couple would have been doing. In fact, Joseph and Mary would have had very little interaction during this time. Parents would have been organizing, planning, and and making ready for the actual official marriage day. But this, this commitment was seen 
as marriage, as far as the commitment, even in the betrothal time. And so this is the kind of connection that they already had, Mary and Joseph. Luke wants you to know that. He's a descendant of King David. Why is that such a big deal? This is a significant line that Joseph is from, all the way back to King David of the Old Testament, and Luke's wanting us to know that right away. That's the introduction. Let's continue on. Gabriel appeared to her and says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. It's an interesting word there, uh, favored. Favored woman. Now, I shared with you one time in a sermon about how we sometimes look at the word favor. We drive down the street and we get a green light at the last moment, right? We think we're going to put our brakes on and the light turns green and I don't have to put my brakes on. And we think in our head, what? The favor of God. Favor of God on my life. Or we're riding down the street and it's green and then all of a sudden it's red. And if I'm Jeff Yates, I just plow on. But if I'm a law-abiding citizen, um, I slow and I stop at the red light and what do I think in my head? What is God doing to me here? What, what, is this a punishment? Is this a test of my faith? What is happening? It's, not, it's just a red light. But here, the angel appears and says, favored woman. You are favored. How wonderful would that be for somebody to reach down and say audibly to you, hello, favored one. Hello, favored. You are favored one. And that's what Mary's called here. Now, what is that going to mean to her life? Does it mean from this point on, every light she hits is going to turn green? It's going to be amazing. Her commute time, just like that. Uh, We're going to find not at all. Not at all. In fact, we're going to get a true definition sometimes of what the word favored means as we finish off her story. The Lord is with you. Gabriel was wanting to pronounce this upon her so she understands. Verse 29, confused and disturbed, you might be as well if an angel of the Lord appeared to you. It's never happened to me. I'd probably be confused and disturbed as well. Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, told her for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, and he will reign over forever, Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I am a virgin. Notice it ties back already. The reader, Theophilus, he already understands this. And he goes, oh, now I understand why this is such a big deal that Luke introduced Mary that way. The Lord has found favor with you. Now think about it if you're Mary, right? You're probably 12 to 14 years old. That's about the time that a young lady got engaged in this time. Can you imagine? Those of you who have, have daughter, I mean, I have an 11-year-old daughter. You know, it's crazy thinking, all right? But that's just culturally what happened. 12 to 14 years old. Here's Mary. In a, in a society, as Kevin preached to us last week, that is very hard on women, very hard. In fact, if you were a young woman, you had some status because of your age, um, and you had a future. But if you were an older woman, and you no longer had a husband, or if you didn't have male children, your status was low, almost non-existent in the culture. So you can see the, the status immediately of being married at 12, 13, 14 years old. But there was a, a dagger here, culturally. 
you did not have a kid out of wedlock. You did not cheat on the one you were engaged to or on the one you were married to if you, you were past that one-year betrothal. That was an absolute no. It was a, like a cultural death to you that would be just carried out the rest of your days. I mean, could you imagine right now uh, any of you that either were or have a, a close friend or somebody who might have had a child out of wedlock, and that would have been it culturally at the time for the rest of their days. Aren't you just so, so glad that God offers the grace and the community of believers to bless and take those in that might have been in that situation? It wasn't the case culturally of the day. Favor of God. Mary, the Lord has found favor on you. Here's what's going to happen to you. You're about to have a child out of wedlock in a time where culturally that is going to be really bad for you for the rest of your days. Favor of God. Have fun with it. Can you imagine what she's thinking and what she might be feeling with this type of announcement? Sometimes I've heard people actually preach or talk about this and they say, and we see the doubt of Mary, the struggle, the human spirit of Mary just doubting the supernatural when she says, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. Can I just tell you right now, don't over-spiritualize or over-read into that a question that any one of us would ask. God, how can this be? I mean, logistically, how does this stuff play out? And now the angel is going to reply here. He says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. The angel is oh so happy to answer this question. How can this be? Let me share with you how this can be. Do you know that God doesn't ask you to just be a complete blind fool with everything he puts in front of you? God says, investigate it. Look. See how this can be. See how what I ask of you or call of you or, or lead you to actually can play out for good here. That's what's happening. He just simply says, how can this be? I, I'm a virgin. And then he spells out, he says, yeah, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and do greater than you could imagine. The Holy Spirit will accomplish something that you could not accomplish on your own. You see, if we're not careful, that becomes very Christian talk in church circles. We say things like, well, you know, the Holy Spirit will empower us, or, you know, God will help us do something we could not do on our own. But in reality, we accomplish everything simply based on our own strength here. Well, Mary knows this task that's been put before her, what's just been said to her by the angel, it is impossible for her to begin to do this on her own. The Holy Spirit will empower her. In fact, I heard it once said, and I wrote it in the front of uh, my Bible, uh, I heard it once said that uh, to accomplish something so great that if God's not in it, you fail. Meaning the power of God will have to come into play. Otherwise, we just claim it on our own. I've been doing these vision nights, right? And we've been talking again about the story of Gideon and the reminder that why did God tell Gideon, I'm going to cut your army down from 32,000 down to 300? 
just in case your men go and win, and uh, they say, we did it on our own with 32,000. God says, now go do it on your own with 300 and see, see what you get. And of course, God's mighty hand was at play there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. The baby is going to be born to be holy. And then he says, let me give you an example of this, just, so, just in case you don't get it. Your relative, Elizabeth, remember her? She's old. She's barren. Pastor Kevin walked us through it last week. You know, she, she can't have kids. You know that, right? Well, guess what? She's six months pregnant. Go check it out. You can see it at six months. She's got a bump. Go, go, go see for yourself. The, the, Gabriel is now saying to her, I want to show you a practical way that God has done it. It's like if one of you this morning, I said, hey, somebody just testify. And you stood up this week and you said, you know, the Lord brought clarity to my life this week. I've been struggling with a decision and I'm just so clear the Lord gave me this verse and I know the decision I need to make. You're testifying. You're doing just what Gabriel did right here. He is saying practically, let me tell you how it did happen. And so it can happen for you. That's what testimony does for us. And Gabriel is testifying to Mary on behalf of Elizabeth here. Here's the greatest part of the passage. Verse 38, if you follow along. Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. That's kind of, this, that's kind of the sticking point at that uh, there. When the, and the Gabriel's done speaking, like, how will Mary reply at this point? You, you ever heard the phrase, shoot the messenger? You, you understand where that came from? I mean, there was actually times uh, in history where somebody would come to the king and they would deliver a bad message. Bad news, king. The outer walls, they've been breached. The, the armies are coming in. It's only a matter of time now. We don't have enough internal forces to hold them off. We're in trouble. And there was actually a time where, I mean, like the messenger, the king's anger would burn at the messenger and they would kill the messenger. It sounds weird to us today, right? In fact, there is actually was a law in the books in England for centuries. The law was that you could not kill the town crier. Do you know who the town crier was? The town crier was the one who came out and they proclaimed the, 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 whatever had been done in the government, whatever decisions the government had made, might be raising taxes, um, whatever it is, the town crier would come out and announce this and proclaim this. And the law was this, you can't harm the town crier. Why? Because he was the messenger and you did not like what he had to say. It seems weird to us today, or maybe that doesn't. I mean, when you're watching your TV and you're angry that your favorite team is not winning, have you ever thrown the, the controller at the TV or at a wall and busted something that has nothing to do with that game or that team? Um, yeah, shooting the messenger. You see, here, Mary could have turned all of her frustration and anger of what is, is in front of her. Are you crazy? You want me to get pregnant out of wedlock as a virgin? As a 12 to 13, 14 year old, you'd like to get pregnant because I'm going to carry some kid you're calling holy? That is crazy. I don't want to have anything to do with that. In fact, it would make sense if she were to say something like that. 
It would make sense if the story of, of the gospel here is that God actually had to go through, you know, 9, 10, 11 women before he found one that said, yeah, okay, sounds good, let's do that. But here Mary responds this way, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. If you need a verse to memorize and to recite in your time with God, if you need a verse to claim at times when you know God's calling you and and you would rather kind of fold your arms and say no, memorize that verse. Have that verse ready to go. So when God comes to you and he calls on you and he speaks to you and he challenges you, you would remember the memorized verse. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. That's what Mary says. The word peace. I believe that Mary's response in this passage is what brings her peace. It wasn't simply because she was favored by the Lord. And remember, the favoring of the Lord here was going to bring a very difficult task in her life. It wasn't simply because she was favored by God. It wasn't even that the, the Lord was with her and that the, Lord, the word of God would never fail her. As Gabriel said, <clears throat> peace came when Mary surrendered before God. Peace came when she declared to him, yeah, your way sounds better than my way. Peace came when she no longer had Gabriel with her and yet she stayed confident in the Lord because of his promise alone. That's where peace came in her life. She could have ran all kinds of directions in her head. She chose the peace of the Lord, and the peace was found in surrender. So what does Mary do here? It's all found in in chapter 1, verse 38. First of all, Mary acknowledged she was God's servant. She acknowledged, I'm your servant, Lord, Sometimes we like to sing, I am a friend of God. We like to sometimes put ourselves right there on an equal plane. We're buddy-buddy, we're pal-pal. And I don't think there's anything wrong with singing that song and, and understanding a relationship that we are allowed to have with God. But Mary is acknowledging here, I'm the Lord's servant. The Lord created me. He loves me. I love him. But I, I'm here. I'm his servant. I'm willing to do whatever he would ask of me. And so she acknowledged that here. I'm telling you, as, as a pastor, and especially in the last couple of years as a pastor who we have been trying to build a new church and build a permanent home, and there's all kinds of decisions that come along with that, and we have a great board and staff to work with, but all of that, the decision-making process is kind of a constant role in a head pastor's life just about every day. Can I tell you that it, sometimes it's really nice to roll into a location where I have no decision-making skill or no, no decision-making whatsoever. I just walk in and I'm just told, go do this. And I go, oh, okay, I'll go do that. And, and I do it. I mean, it's just like, like when I go into the gym, it's on the board, do this, 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 and this, just go. I don't need to figure out, well, is that the best thing for me or should I do this? Should I? I just do exactly what's there. Man, there's a lot of peace in that to go in at least for that hour and just enjoy to say, this is my role. This is God's role. This is my role. And I just lay it out. That's really what Mary is saying here. She's understanding this is where I fit. This is where I'm at. And I embrace that. I love that. And there's peace in that for me, that my desire is to do the will of the Father. 
And there's joy in that. And she finds that here. Secondly, Mary affirmed that God's plan is best. I mean, I'm working, I'm telling you, 25 years on being a Christian or so, 26 years on being a Christian, and I'm still trying to figure this one out, that God's plan is indeed the better plan. Because you know what? One of my gift suits is, is planning, strategic planning, looking ahead, vision casting, that type of thing. What does that mean? I'm always wanting to spin plan-wise. I'm always spinning that way. I don't want to see a single board member, single staff member, a single head, you know, uh, like team lead down the hall. I don't want to see anyone step off their leadership role. But as, a, as like a planner, I, can, I won't lie to you. I'm constantly thinking, what happens if this person steps away? What would be my plan? I better have something in place in my head. And I'm constantly thinking that all the way down the road. So you can see it's a struggle sometimes to say, God's plan is better. You need to start there and understand where God is leading and directing. The verse says, may everything you said about me come true. Everything. God has a wonderful plan for our life. In fact, do you know that the number one best-selling Christian book outside of the Bible is a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? Do you know the point of The Purpose Driven Life is to convince you you have a purpose and a plan for your life that's given to you by your loving Father. And it's an amazing book if you've never read it. And you can look at the cover now and you go, oh, yeah, that's 20 years old. That doesn't look fresh and exciting. It's a powerful book. Pick it up anyway. It speaks directly to this. God's plan is better than my plan. Now, if you're like me, um, I can confirm this, but sometimes I, I find myself confirm, confirming it after the fact. Are you with me? You know, you know what that means? After the fact. Like if I slam my head into that concrete wall, I learn that it hurts after the fact. That's painful because my head's bashed in and bloodied and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd love to learn these things before the fact um, and just trust God. Trust God to say, hey, I've got a plan for you. I'd like you to do this and just trust me. In fact, I found this. In this whole Christian thing, it'll never work the things that God's calling us to until they bump their way up the priority list. It'll, ne- it'll never work. Like staying plugged in to a church family and, and, and even being regular in church, that'll never work till church bumps up the priority list or, or God's calling bumps up the priority list. I mean, we've talked about the last few weeks about the finances and stuff, the generosity. That's crazy thinking until that bumps up, Christianity bumps up the priority list. And on and on you could go in your life. I mean, your marriage, like redeeming and fixing your marriage, until God's surrender to God bumps up your priority list, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, George Barna has a new book out. I've quoted it a couple times. And in one of the chapters, they're very short chapters, in one of the chapters, he actually has this list of if you were to look at things we do throughout our week. So nothing we say, but just we look at things we do throughout the week, what we spend our time doing. Do you know where that Christian growth opportunities came in? 15th. 15th on the list. Kind of blew me away. That for the average person, Christian growth opportunities came in 15th on the list of just how we spend our time throughout the week. Firming God's plans better. 
God's plan. He has something amazing for me, and it's better than what I could conjure up on my own. Finally, it's an interesting way to end this chapter, but it says Mary accepted being alone, and the angel left her. Left her. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm better at things when my instructor's right next to me. I've always been better swinging the golf club when I'm standing next to the person that's teaching me how to swing the golf club. They go away, and it's like I've never even heard a golf club. I don't even know what to do with it after that point. It's just easier when the instructor's there. Here's Gabriel giving encouragement. Don't be afraid. You're going to be great with child. This is going to be amazing. You are so favored. God's with you. And then the next thing you know, the angel is gone. And yet we'll find in this passage and beyond that Mary stays absolutely faithful. Absolutely faithful to this. Mary had solidified in her life that her commitment to God rested on her commitment to God, not on anything else. And we find that even though the angel departed, she said, "Uh, that's okay. I'm committed to God. I'm committed to his plan. I'm committed even to the unknown of what that plan is going to bring with it. And at this point in time, the, the unknowns would have been tremendous. Can I tell you what those things equal? Mary acknowledged she was God's servant. She affirmed God's plan. She accepted even being alone. Can I tell you what that, that equals? Peace. It's God's peace he brings to your life. It's peace. To know, I, I, I know my place with God. I know he loves me. I know he has this wonderful plan. It's better than my plan. In fact, he, God often fuses our two plans uh, together. So it's not like he says, nah, put yours on the shelf. Forget about that. Um, when we're walking with him. But his plan's better, his overall plan. And there's peace to know that even when the instructor's gone, I, I can be right there, connected to God, committed to God entirely. So the blanks are for you. What do you do? When faced with situations in your life, I don't think you've been faced with the situation that Mary was just faced with, but in situations when you're faced with your life, what what do you do? How do you respond? Do Do you recognize where you stand, where your place is and where God's place is? Do you respond saying, God, that's a good plan. I'm gonna roll with that plan. I had a few plans in place, but I'm gonna go with your plan. That sounds better. Do you know that God's word is filled with plans? Like, you don't have to this afternoon go sit for five hours meditating, waiting for God to say something in plan form to you. You can just open up God's word and read, and there's plan after plan after plan on how to live your life, how to respond to situations, how to find joy and peace and comfort in different things there. What do you do? How do you respond there? You can either use that right now to write down anything that comes to mind, or maybe this is your tool you take for your devotions this week and look for that peace. What I know and what I hear often, especially when I sit with people and they're in conflict, and sometimes they even verbalize it exactly this way, they say, Tom, I just want peace. I just want peace. I want peace in my home, so I'm going to end this marriage so I can have peace in my home. And I want peace. So I, I'm just going to, you know, do my thing and have the kids, you know, just go to your room and do your thing. I just want peace. I just want peace. So I'm going to quit this job today. I just want peace and on and on because our definition is often, I just need everything. I just need everything and everyone out of my hair. And God says, I'll offer you peace, but it comes a totally different way. 
If you just walk the way of the story of Mary today, I'll bring you peace to your life. I want to pray for you in that area because I would guess in a group this size, many of you are dealing with it. And many of you are actually saying the phrase that I just said, I just want peace. But maybe you've been going at it in a totally different way than God says, you know, if you walk this way, I got something good for you. So let me pray for you. Father, I want you to just hear the voice. Lord, there might be uh, some voices that are going to be raised up here that in in a million years that person would not verbally confess that out loud to anyone else. But maybe in the quietness of this moment, they're willing to say something to you, God. Maybe they're willing to say, "Um, I've been looking at peace from a totally different angle. I just just want everybody out and gone from my life so I can be at peace. And God, you've said, won't bring it won't really bring any peace. The problems will still be there. You just pick it up and have to deal with them a different way. But here, Father, in your word, you've told us a new way, a different way that we might find peace. And Lord, it 100% starts with just surrendering our life to you. Father, I know this morning, a group this side, there's somebody in here that doesn't know you as their savior. They don't know you as Lord and Savior. They've never made that commitment to begin a relationship with you. And if that's you this morning, I just want to pray over you that this could be the day where you would say yes to Jesus, that you'd surrender your life. And you could say it simply by following in your head a prayer like this, Lord, um, forgive me of living my own way apart from you. Lord, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you from this moment on. If you prayed that prayer in your head just now, if you followed those words, heartfelt, in an instant, you are his child. He receives you. He loves you. And he calls you a child of God because of your faith in him. It doesn't take any more than just surrendering your life. And if that's you, I give praise to our God over you right now. I would guess the, the greater number out there of those of you who are sitting here and you're like, I just don't have any peace I mean, I talk about this Christianity thing all the time, and I know he's a a God of peace, but I'm just not experiencing it in just about any area. If If that's you this morning, can I just invite you right now before God? Would you go before him and say, God, forgive me of leaving you out of the peace seeking process. Lord, I I, want to just surrender to you this morning. I want to say I'm your servant. And I want to say to you, God, let it be. Do do to me whatever you would want. Whatever you would say about me, I surrender that to be that. And if that's you, like in the same way, you know, do you know that in an instant God has forgiven you? You don't have to live with any more of why did I take so long to do that kind of feeling. In an instant, he's forgiven you. And now he just wants to walk forward, hand in hand, talking to you, leading you and guiding you. Would you let him do it? Father, thank you for everything that you have in front of us this day. This day alone, Lord, will carry enough things to challenge our faith and give us opportunities to be your witness, even in this day. But Lord, can I go ahead and pray for the rest of the week too? Because I'm sure it will be full, full of opportunities to be a witness to who we are in Christ. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Hey, if this morning, uh, maybe, maybe you just made a commitment to Christ first time. Maybe you've, 
don't know Jesus as your Savior, and just now in that prayer you said yes for the first time, Lord, come into my life, be the Lord of my life, we'd love to help you on that journey, what to do next, and how to get started on that. So if you would use the, the card that's on your chair, and just on the back you'll see some boxes, and just check the one about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to help you on that journey. It's not a journey any of us ever did alone, and so we'd love to help you in that process. Just check that. Anything you made a commitment to otherwise that you want some prayer on, just use the card. Write it on the bottom. Pray for peace in whatever area, and we'd love to pray for that throughout the week uh, as well would be would be wonderful. Well, we would like to uh, invite our, our ushers to come forward. They're going to take up our weekly tithes and offerings and building pledges. And so uh, if you would give in that area, um, if you didn't come prepared to give, as always, use our windoverhills.org online. That would be a, a fine way. You could set that up uh, for anything, building pledges, tithes, whatever you'd like. So we'll invite our ushers to, to come forward uh, at this time. And our praise team is going to going to lead us singing, and when they're all done, you are dismissed, and have a blessed Sunday.